0: fascinating people, insightful stories, an hour of enlightenment. This is Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub
1: Radio. Our guest today warns that the so-called smart machine age will lead to tremendous unemployment and underemployment, and that we as a society are ill-prepared for the social and economic disruptions that will follow as he observes smart machines, are creeping into more and more of our public and private lives. He has come to believe that nothing less than a revamping of capitalism will allow us to thrive. Thank you so much, Edward Hess, for being here today on Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio.
0: Thank you for having me, Charlie, and please call me Ed.
1: Oh, thanks. Well, the new book is... Humility is the New Smart, Rethinking Human Excellence in the Smart Machine Age. And there's a new article as well updating that book, Modernizing Capitalism, Saving the American Dream. Well, Ed is a professor of business administration, Batten faculty fellow, and Batten executive in residence. That's at the University of Virginia Darden School of Business. His professional experience includes 20 years as a business executive and 15 years in academia. His research and 12 books, have a common theme how organizations and individuals can be consistent high performers ed's work has been featured in over 350 global media outlets well ed let's talk about what you mean by the smart machine age let's define that and in your book from a couple of years ago you wrote that it was it was coming is it still coming or are we in it now
0: we, we are in it now. We're on the leading edge of it now. And the smart machine age is really the age of artificial intelligence and machine learning, plus the convergence of other technologies, uh, big data, the Internet of Things, virtual and augmented reality, genetic engineering, nanotechnology, 3D manufacturing. But it's all playing off of, if you will, the foundation of artificial intelligence. Technology is going to be embedded in in every aspect of the workplace, and technology is going to change the way we work and change the way we live, and technology is going to determine who works
1: and what they do. Well, Ed, I think we certainly at this point are kind of taking it for granted as we've been, at least in the internet age, you know, since since the 90s, and uh, did that play a role of sort of like the frog in the in the pot you know that got us uh, <laughs> comfortable with the with the coming smart machine age the
0: best research out there on the impact goes back to 2013. So the best research is, is not that old. And the best research on the impact, of, this, of if you will, of the coming technology era was done at Oxford University. And, and that research basically stated that there is a high probability, high probability that 47% of the jobs in the United States will be automated, if you will, by 2030, 2033. The... Chief Economist of the Bank of England did a major study looking at the United States. Why the United States? Because we have the best data. And he basically said that he predicted 80 million U.S. jobs would be basically automated or lost to uh, displaced, if that's the, the word that some people are using, but it's basically automated. 80 million jobs will be automated. Well, Charlie, that's 10x 10 times the number of jobs that have been lost over the last 20 to 30 years to offshoring and automation in manufacturing. So this is big. This is big. The highest the unemployment rate got during the Great Depression was around 25%. We could be talking about numbers double that. Even if it is not that bad, it will basically be severely disruptive for our economy. I believe the coming smart machine age is going to be more disruptive the Industrial Revolution was for our ancestors. Because the smart machine age is going to continue to advance. Artificial intelligence will continue to advance. And so when people say, don't worry, in the Industrial Revolution we created more jobs for people, everything worked out well, it will work out well again. Well, This time, I think, is going to be different because technology is going to continue to advance, and the issue is, will technology create new jobs that technology itself cannot do? And will technology create enough new jobs that the people losing their jobs can be retrained to do? Those are the big issues facing our society, and we are the only major capitalist country, really, that is not preparing for what is coming.
1: And let's talk about, I'm guessing you're talking about the the technology tsunami that you write about in your new article, uh, Modernizing Capitalism, that all these things are just going to overwhelm us. So let's talk about how much more disruptive you think this is than the Industrial Revolution was. I mean, is it so much worse?
0: The loss of jobs could be significantly worse. The other aspect of it is is going to be the technology such as genetic engineering and nanotechnology is going to have within probably ten years be able to be embedded in our body uh, you You will maybe have the option within ten years to have a neural net placed on top of your skull, and your brain will communicate with computers by itself all right without you talking without you typing. Genetic engineering means that people are going to be able to have operations, all right, to change their genes to create possibly superhumans. Same thing with nanotechnology. If you can afford it, the technology's gonna go into your body and the technology will kill the bad germs in the way early and will basically fertilize the good germs and have them grow. And so what's, what's coming is almost, we're on almost the, the age of an evolutionary period in what I call techno homo sapiens technology embedded into humans, and what that's going to mean is, is the potential of having a, a group of people who can afford it being superhumans and the rest of us being ordinary human, humans or our normal, usual humans, and that's going to create a bifurcation, could create a bifurcation in our society if it is not managed, if it is not, if you will, quote, controlled in some way. So this is bigger because of all the different types of technology that are that's so transformative. Virtual and augmented reality. You can be really anywhere in the world by by just sitting in your chair in your living room or at your desk. I mean with 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 what's coming in with the virtual and augmented reality. So yeah, I think this is gonna be different. This is this is more than the steam engine. Uh one of the best and brightest computer scientists at Stanford University has basically said artificial intelligence will be, just, will be even more powerful or more change disruptive than electricity was. It is, quote, the modern electricity. It is going to be wired into everything, in, in, which means that there's the potential for abuses, of hacking us emotionally, hacking what we think, and we're already seeing some of that that has, has occurred. So, yeah, I think this is big. I think this is real big. And the challenge for us as a country is how do we adapt to this and and how do we basically deal with this in light of the fact that it's going to have the possibility of exacerbating the income and wealth inequality which is at already at the highest levels in our country since the Gilded Age.
1: And what is the likely future of our work, though? Is, is it more of what some have been writing about, what's been happening in the, in the disruptive gig economy from Uber, Airbnb, and other similar companies, you know, creating what they're calling a, a growing servant class?
0: Some people will find jobs and be able to find work as giggers, all right? As giggers, as, you know, whether you want to call them entrepreneurs, part-time or giggers, Already in the, in the country today, the Department of Labor says 44% of the jobs already are, are if we will, part-time giggers, your own, your own type jobs. There will be people that will be on your own type jobs. There will be a much smaller, smaller percentage that will have full-time uh, jobs in companies or organizations if those people can do what the technology can't do well. And that's very complicated or sophisticated thinking. Critical thinking, creative thinking, innovative thinking. And then there will be a whole group of service-type jobs, which historically have not paid well in our society, unfortunately, but service-type jobs that require emotional engagement with other human beings, all right? Social workers, psychologists, counselors, uh, physical therapists, hairdressers, etc the vast for the first time in our country what we may end up with and it's highly likely charlie is we will have a group of people that will that will not work will not find work and will not have the means if you will or the skills that are needed and um and because you only need so many social workers you only need so many hairdressers you only need uh so many people in the service classes and so the reality of it is is that the future of work will be, for most people, giggers. For some people, full-time work, so long as they continually learn, because the predictions are that every 10 years those people will have a completely new career, that what they're doing will be basically taken over by technology, even, even the hard stuff. And then, unfortunately, we, we could have a meaningful number of our fellow citizens that don't work
1: and i 've certainly read that it 's not just the uh, the blue collar classes, but even lawyers themselves and other white collar uh, jobs will be automated out of existence as well
0: that 's correct it 's going to hit it 's going to hit the professions and the white collar workers uh, architects lawyers certain uh, certain types of doctors are going to be um, impacted uh, uh... certain types of professors are going to be impacted if you will yes it's going to hit the white-collar uh... cpa's uh... cpa's have the highest probability of having their jobs automated as an example and uh, so yes it's it's going to hit the white-collar workers in the professions and and that is also new because the professions historically have been ins, insulated if you will uh, and 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 that that also I believe is is going to have an, an impact because you know th- those people those people should be if you will much more aggressively out there today trying to create if you will a, a, a movement uh... talking about this and how we prepare for this and uh... you know uh... because they've they've got right now the many of many of them some of them the the income level to make uh... political contributions to basically to bring people together to talk about what's the future of capitalism the future of work the future of our democracy and all of this comes down to the future of the american dream will we continue to be the land of opportunity And the reality is today The American Dream is already a myth for many, many of our people, and it's going to be more of a myth for more and more people.
1: Coming up, the conversation continues with Edward Hess discussing his book, Humility is the New Smart, Rethinking Human Excellence in the Smart Machine Age. And later, Mark Lesser joins the conversation to talk about his new book, Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader, Lessons from Google and a Zen Monastery Kitchen. Thank you for listening, and please like iHub Radio on Facebook. I'm Charlie Dyer
0: fascinating people, insightful
1: stories, an hour of enlightenment. This is Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. We're talking about Edward Hess's book, Humility is the New Smart, Rethinking Human Excellence in the Smart Machine Age. You maintain that the digital age makes modernizing capitalism imperative. So first, let's talk about the two very different forms of capitalism that the United States has experienced since World War II. And what philosophy would you support as a third type of capitalism? How should we modernize capitalism?
0: Since World War II, we've had two types of capitalism, the era of shared prosperity and the era of unshared prosperity. The era of shared prosperity went from, basically, let's just say, 1947 to the early 70s. During that time, corporations publicly stated and lived this way. They said, we have a duty to, yes, our shareholders, but also our workers and our communities. CEO pay-to-worker ratio was 20 to 30 to 1. Also, back in that time, we had much higher tax rates on higher income earners. Tax rates at one time was as high as 90%. They came down into the 70%, and then they were down into the uh, toward the end of the time period in the 50%. We had antitrust enforcement, which basically busted up, if you will, non-competitive types of industries. Workers had retirement benefits, health care benefits, all right, and, if you will, we had a time where people could live the American dream. Back during those times, if you were born into a uh, middle-class family, you had a 90 percent chance, 90 percent chance of earning more money than your parents. Today, if you're born into a middle-class family, you have only a 50 percent chance. If you are born into poverty in the United States today as a child you have less than a 5% chance of getting out of poverty. Now, the era of unshared prosperity made big changes. That's because a small group of people got very concerned that if that that big business did things for the community and did things for workers, that maybe they were tending to become socialist and maybe go communistic. So, therefore... All right. Business should only focus on making money for shareholders. That took hold in the 1970s and was accentuated by the creation of stock option plans that basically rewarded CEOs for focusing on just making money for shareholders. And then that that introduced in the in, we'll call it the M and A mergers and acquisition game and financial engineering game, the creation of of um, of, of earnings that. Weren't old-fashioned earnings,
1: and that's what we're still dealing with today.
0: That that's what we're still dealing with today.
1: So, what's see, the, so let's see, talk about the third type of capitalism.
0: The third the third type of capitalism, quite frankly, it goes goes back and incorporates some of the first type, the era of shared of shared prosperity. We we need to go back to where business has a duty to workers and society. We need to basically go back to having higher tax rates on the top ten percent, and the top one percent. We have to go back with basically I'll call it fair pay and benefits and for for workers we have to look and build some strong safety nets we even need to look at some type of you know public ownership if you will of, of in some of the big technology companies if 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 the technology if you, as you know the the development of the internet was heavily financed by the United States government yes and basically given to the technology companies well why Don't we, the people, since we paid the tax dollars, okay, that went to fund a lot of this stuff, why doesn't the people, the people, participate? The other thing that needs to, that would be new, Charlie, is this, and some of these ideas come from what's being done in other capitalist countries, successful capitalist countries. Maybe companies need to have a legal fiduciary duty to employees and communities, and If companies breach that fiduciary duty, okay, management can be held liable, all right, and management, if you will, if they intentionally continue to, maybe even maybe we need to start enforcing the white collar crime laws in this country. If you look at the the multi-billion dollar criminal fines that companies have paid over the last four or five years, I mean a huge number, and no top CEO no top level people have ever gone to jail. All right. We need to basically start holding business accountable. It's just not greed. It's just not making money and getting stock options. It's not basically having corporations, if you will, sell you insurance that you don't know you're buying and taking the money out of your account. All right. And the second thing we need to we've got to be looking at is public financing of, of political elections we've got to demonetize politics. we've got to basically go back to an era of politics of having statesmen and stateswomen, people that basically are there and and we've got to cut out the the revolving door of politicians becoming lobbyists, politicians becoming multimillion dollar lobbyists. you know none of that is basically. Uh, doing anything positive for our our society, so we we also need to look at, if you will, portability of labor benefits, etc. And and you know, it's 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 crazy for part time workers at companies to basically to get a part time job, you have to sign a covenant not to compete, so that you can't go get a job at a competitor that pays more. I mean, let me just ask you, if you wanted to go get a job at a you know, at a, at a company, and you they were told, we only hire part-time workers. And you are given a, a one-page contract, and it says that if you quit, you can't go work for a competitor, okay? And therefore, the job that you're more likely to get is with a competitor because you know the business and know the skills. So if you, if you go to work, you got to go find a new job, all right? That, that may pay less. What is that called? That's what is that called?
1: That's a no-compete. Ed, are there any uh, big business leaders that agree with you that we need to modernize capitalism?
0: Yes, there are. And uh, within the past f- months, three big Wall Street, very successful, smart men, who are also very wealthy, have come out and said, said we have to modernize capitalism. We're leaving too many people behind. That was Larry Fink, Ray Dalio, and Paul Tudor Jones. And they are right. We're leaving too many people behind. The bottom 50% income-wise in our country has lost income share since 1980. Middle-class families have not participated in income growth for over 30 years. Charlie, 40% – this is Federal Reserve numbers – 40% of the adults in this country can't cover $400 of unexpected expenses. Over 60% have less than one month's income in emergency savings. Something's wrong with this story.
1: Ed Hess is our guest today on Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. The book is Humility is the New Smart, Rethinking Human Excellence in the Smart Machine Age. And there's also a new article updating that book, Modernizing Capitalism, Saving the American Dream. Thank you so much for being here today on Conversations, Ed. Thank you very much, Charlie. Coming up, Mark Lesser joins the conversation to talk about his new book, Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader, Lessons from Google and a Zen Monastery Kitchen. Let me know what you think of conversations. Write me an email to charlie.dyer at ihubradio.com. Be sure to like Radio on Facebook and tell all your friends about the digital difference in the Coachella Valley. I'm Charlie Dyer. Thank you for listening.